In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So begins the greatest story ever told. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, let there be a firmament. And there was a firmament. And God said, let there be sun and moon and stars. And let there be plant life. And let there be animal life. And then he says, and let us make man in our own image. And in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And he placed them in the Garden of Eden and told them that of every tree of the garden they could eat except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of course, they ate of that tree. And as they did, they were banned from the garden. And God told them on that occasion that I will put enmity between the devil and between your seed. And he shall bruise your seed on the heel, but your seed shall bruise the devil on the head, that seed may be the first reference to Christ in the Bible. And so Adam and Eve had to leave the garden and all the pleasures there. And they had sons, one named Cain, one named Abel. And Abel was slain because God accepted his sacrifice and Cain was jealous when God did not accept his. And so life continued and people continued seemingly to get worse and worse and worse until all the thoughts and the imagination of man were evil only continually God determined to block them out but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and the Lord said unto Noah prepare an ark to the saving of your household and so Noah and his wife their three sons and their wives entered into the ark and the rain fell for forty days and night and the floodgates of heaven were opened all flesh upon the earth was destroyed. And the ark came to rest upon Mount Ararat. And Noah sent out the birds until finally he got the signal that things were safe to get out. And when he did, he built an altar to God, and God promised that never again would he destroy the earth by water. But mankind continued to digress from the ways of God and grow worse and worse and worse. Until there came a time about 2000 B.C. when there was a man by the name of Terah who lived in Ur of the Chaldees. And he had a son whose name was Abraham, or Abram at that time. And he said unto Abram, Get thee up from thy kindred, and go unto a place that I will show thee. And he left Ur of the Chaldees and went up to Haran. And while he was at Haran, Terah died. And as God appeared to him a second time and said unto him, Come unto the land that I will give you and your seed. And so he did, not knowing where he was going. And Abraham and Lot and their family and possessions journeyed east, or west it was, until they came to the land of Canaan. And God said unto him, I'll give you all this land. It will all be yours. And God one day told him to look and see if he could count the stars. And, of course, he couldn't. And he said, you'll have that many descendants. Sarah was 90 years old and Abraham 100 when Isaac was born, the child of promise. And Abraham believed God. And it was reckoned to him for righteousness, the father of the faithful. 
And when the days had gone by, God said unto Abraham, Take your son, your only son Isaac, and offer him up as a burnt offering. And Abraham saddled his donkey and took his boy in the fire and went and left the servants and said, The lad and I are going there to worship. And there he tied the boy and there he drew the knife to take his life. But the Lord said unto him, Do not harm the boy, for I know that you will not hold anything back from me since you have given your only son in your mind. And so it was that he found a ram in the thicket and offered it in the place of his son. Abraham, the father of the faithful. The father of the Hebrew nation. Abraham was followed by Isaac, his son, as I've already said, who married Rebekah, and they had two children. One was named Esau, the older, and one was named Jacob. But Jacob was the child of promise, even though he was the younger, and he stole the birthright, and he stole the blessing. And Esau planned to kill him for it. And Jacob had to flee from his brother. And Jacob went into the land of Paden Aram, and there he worked the man named Laban. And there he, at that particular occasion, married his two wives, Rachel and Leah. And they had twelve children. Their handmaids, of course, had some of them. There were four wives, counting the two handmaids. These formed the nucleus for the twelve tribes of Israel. And so it was that he, according to God's command, went back to the land of Canaan. There he sojourned in that land. And there he came to a place called Bethel, where God appeared to him and repeated the promise that had been given to Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Jacob called that place Bethel, which means the house of God. God appeared to him twice at that particular place. When Jacob grew older, his youngest uh, wife, well, let's see, the uh, oldest son of his favorite wife, Joseph, incurred the wrath of the brothers because he was the favorite. And so it was that he was sold into the land of Egypt to a band of Ishmaelites or Midianites, whichever you call them. And there in the land he was sold to Potiphar and served in Potiphar's house until Potiphar's wife accused him of making improper advances toward him, though it was really the opposite that was true, and he was put in prison. And there eventually he interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh about the seven years of plenty, followed by the seven years of famine. And when Pharaoh was so impressed with that, he appointed Joseph over all the land to take care of this and to gather the food in for the seven years of plenty in order to prepare for the seven years of famine. During the days of famine, Joseph was able to feed the people because of this. And it was also people in Palestine that got hungry, and Jacob sent his sons down there. And on a second trip down there, Joseph made himself known to his brethren and told them to come down and to bring their father, and he would take care of them in the land of Egypt. And so all the family came to the land of Egypt. And for a number of years, possibly as long as 400 years, they stayed in the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh feared them because they multiplied so greatly. And he decided to afflict them with heavy burdens, and they built cities and made bricks, and he formed taskmasters over them. 
And he did everything in the world he knew to stop them from growing. He even commanded that if a child be born and it's a male child, he be thrown into the Nile. But there was a man named Amram and his wife Jochebed who had a son named Moses. And he was spared and brought up in Pharaoh's house as Pharaoh's daughter found him there in the bulrushes in the little basket. Named him Moses, which means drawn out. I drew him out of the water. And for 40 years Moses stayed in the land of Egypt in the court of Pharaoh. He killed an Egyptian when he saw one beating a Hebrew servant. And for his own life he fled into the wilderness. And there in the land of Midian he stayed the second 40 years of his life with Jethro and married one of his daughters, Zipporah. And at the age of 80 at Mount Sinai, the Lord appeared to him in the burning bush and told him, that he had seen the afflictions of his people. And go, he says, and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Reluctantly at first, but finally willingly, he went. Did as the Lord had commanded him. And ten plagues came upon all of the land, except the last seven plagues didn't come on the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were. And finally, at the death of the firstborn, the tenth and final plague, Pharaoh said, let the people go. And so they did. And they journeyed eastward to cross the Red Sea. And when they went across the Red Sea, Moses stretched his rod, and the water parted, and they went across on dry land. And Pharaoh and his army decided they would chase them and bring them back. They had had a change of heart, and they went after them. But the water closed back over them as Moses raised his rod, and they perished in the water. God led them by the way of the wilderness and gave them water from the rock and manna uh, to feed them. He led them to Mount Sinai. And there on Mount Sinai, Moses went up on that mountain and received the law. I am the Lord thy God who brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt make unto thee any graven images. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. And they were told to construct a tabernacle to worship. And the tribe of Levi was set apart to be the priestly tribe. And the children of Israel began the worship as God commanded them to do. And they kept the Sabbath day. And they had the priest, and they had the animal sacrifices, as God had commanded. They journeyed on and came to Kadesh Barnea. From there they sent twelve spies into the land, one from each tribe. And ten of them came back and said, we can't take it. There are giants in the land. But Caleb and Joshua said they could. Of course, the crowd believed the ten. And because of this, they were not allowed to go into the land. The spies were gone forty days. They would wander forty years. And so they did. Moses on one occasion took the credit for himself for bringing water out of the rock. And God said, because you did not sanctify me as holy in the sight of my people, you will not bring this people into the land. And as the time for Moses' death drew nigh, he pled with God and said, let me go over to that fair land and let me see it. But God said, no, you can see it from here but you will not go over. And Moses died and God buried him there and no one knows to today 
the site of his burial. After the death of Moses, Joshua was their leader. And he led them around the backside as they had already gone most of the way and attacked the land of Canaan from the east instead of from the west and crossed the Jordan and the waters parted and took Jericho by marching around it and blowing on the trumpets and shouting as the Lord had commanded. And they cut the land in two and destroyed the northern Canaanites and the southern Canaanites and dwelt in the cities that they had left behind. And the land was apportioned to the twelve tribes. Joshua died. His last words were, Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. From about 1400 to 1100, or 1350 to 1050, there was the period of the judges, where there were spiritual leaders that would come and lead the children of Israel back to God. More notable among them were a woman like Deborah, and men like Samson, and Jephthah, and uh, many others that we could name. It wasn't long, though, after the, this particular period of the judges that Samuel was the last of the judges, and he appointed his son to be judges, and they did not walk in the ways of God. And so they said, Give us a king to rule over us, that we may be like all the nations. Well, of course, this was displeasing. But God told Samuel to go ahead and do it, and Saul was appointed to be the king. And so it was that Saul reigned for forty years, and at first seemed to do well, but later became lifted up with pride, and did not destroy the Amalekites, as he was told to do on one occasion. And God rejected him from being king. And David was the man after God's own heart, from Bethlehem, who was going to be the second king of the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom lasted from about 1050 to 930 B.C. And he extended the borders and the powers of Palestine greater than they ever were or ever would be after. He was followed by Solomon, who lived in great splendor, but there was decay beginning in the inside. A man who was known for the wisest to be the wisest man on the face of the earth. And people came from the world around to hear it. But he married women who were not believers in the true God, and they led his heart after them. God said, your kingdom will not continue. And so ten tribes split off under Jeroboam, and two tribes were left for Rehoboam, his son. And then there was the period when they had the two kingdoms continuing side by side. The northern kingdom, known as Israel, lasted until about 722. The southern kingdom continued beyond that point, all the way down to 586. It was during this time that there were great kings, Josiah, Hezekiah, and others that could be named, but not too many. In 586, the Babylonians came and destroyed Jerusalem. And it was during this period of time that the prophets were beginning to rise. Back shortly before the northern kingdom fell, Hosea, the prophet of God's love, and Amos, the prophet of justice, cried out against it. Perhaps Joel at about this same time, we don't know. And then the days of Isaiah and the days of Hezekiah, as he called the people before him, as he could see the great threat on the horizon that was going to destroy them. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. He was the Messianic prophet. He spoke more of the coming Messiah than any other. And then, of course, there were others contemporary with him, like Micah. 
And then there was Nahum who prophesied of the fall of Nineveh, 612 B.C. And then as we come near the end of Babylonian invasion, there were the exilic prophets, so many of them. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and coming down to the others, Obadiah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, all giving messages to these people shortly before their destruction. At the end of the 70 years exile, in the days of Zerubbabel, God's people were allowed to go home. Cyrus had taken over the Babylonian Empire and claimed it for Persia. And in the days of Cyrus, we have Zerubbabel coming home and rebuilding the temple. And later on, under Artaxerxes, we have Nehemiah coming and Ezra coming back and restoring the worship and rebuilding the walls. And the Old Testament book ends, the story ends, at approximately this point. But the story of the Bible is not through. There was a man named Zechariah who was burning incense in the temple, and an angel appeared to him and told him that he would have a son, and he'd called his name John, and he would be the forerunner of the Messiah. And there was a young girl by the name of Mary who heard the word of God speak to her through the angel, telling her that she would have the Messiah, and she would call his name Jesus. She was betrothed to Joseph. And the Lord went to Joseph and said, Don't fear to take her, because that which is in her is conceived of the Holy Spirit. And so it was on one day in Bethlehem, when they'd gone down there to enroll in the taxation, a child was born and laid in a manger. And wise men came to see about it, and angels sang in the heavens regarding it. And they went home, and the child grew, until at about the age of thirty, he came to John the Baptist, who at this time was baptizing near the Jordan, and asked to be baptized by him. And he said, I need to be baptized of you. How could you baptize? How could I baptize you? And he said, Suffered it to be so now. And when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of God descended upon him in the form of a dove, and a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. This began a three and a four year ministry of our Lord. And during that time, he performed notable miracles, the first being turning water into wine. He raised three from the dead. He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, the widow's son, and he raised Lazarus from the dead. And he fed the 5,000, the only miracle told in all four Gospels, as far as I know. And he taught the people in ways they'd never been taught, as in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are they that mourn, blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he spoke as one having authority and not as the scribes did. And our Lord turned the water into wine at the feast of Cana, his first miracle, and healed the nobleman's son uh, for the second miracle. And then who knows what order the others came in. Multiplied the loaves and the fishes for the people. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, and preached to the people. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He typified that in every possible respect. When the days drew near for the end of our Lord's ministry, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he rode in on a donkey, and great crowds strode branches and there even their own garments around them, saying, Hosanna to the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And when our Lord went in, he cleansed the temple and got rid of all of the trafficking that was going on around it and said, This is to be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. He met with the disciples one probably a Thursday night in the upper room. At the time of the Passover meal, this was the last supper where Jesus said, One of you will betray me. And they left there and they went out to the garden to pray. He left eight disciples, he left three more, and then he alone went and prayed. Judas had already gone to make his bargain to betray him. Before long they came to get him. And Jesus said, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. They said, I'm he. And so they bound him, and they carried him back into the city. And they brought him, first of all, before Annas, the ex-high priest, and interrogated him about his teaching, but nothing happened. And then before Caiaphas. And Caiaphas asked him, Are you the Son of God? And our Lord said, I am And then the next morning, Friday morning, before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court, they raised the same question in an official capacity. Are you the Son of God? And on the charge of claiming to be the Son of God, which to them was blasphemy. Anyone would claim to be the Son of God and not be the Son of God, it was blasphemy. He just happened to be the Son of God. And then they took him to Pilate. And then back to Herod and then back to Pilate saying that he was a man that was troubling the nation. They knew that charge would enter his pilot. But Pilate washed his hands and said, I am pure from the blood of this innocent man. See yourselves to it. And they said, His blood be on us and on our children. And Jesus went out bearing the cross for himself. And they came to the hill Golgotha or Calvary, laid him on the cross, drove the nails in his hands and in his feet, and placed that up between two thieves who were dying beside him. And the crowd ran around the foot of the cross and said, Aha! He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let him come down from the cross that we may see and believe. But Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There were seven sayings that he uttered on that cross. One was for his mother, Woman, behold thy son. One was to the thief who was dying beside him. Today you will be with me in paradise. One of the most heart-wrenching was the one when he exclaimed to his father, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As he realized that God had left him there to die. And how that must have hurt the father as much as it did the son. And then he said, I thirst. And then he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And it is finished. 
And the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and rocks split asunder, and tombs were opened, and bodies came out of the tomb. And the centurion, when he saw that his soul gave up the ghost, said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. And they went that day as they returned home, smiting their breasts. Our Lord was laid into the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And they asked for a guard to be placed there because there had been rumors that he might rise from the dead or claim that he would, and they didn't want his body to be stolen and make that particular lie believable. But early on the first day of the week, the angel came down and rolled away the stone, and the keepers became like dead men. And our Lord arose triumphant. And for forty days he appeared on this earth to over five hundred brethren at once on one occasion. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, then to Peter, and then to all the apostles without Thomas, and then to the apostles with Thomas, the two on the road to Emmaus, and others that we might add to the list. His last appearance with them was when he stood on the Mount of Ascension. He told them that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. And as he said that, he was lifted up from them, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And an angel instructed them to wait in the city, Jerusalem, until they received further instructions. And on the day of Pentecost, about ten days later, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. And the people said, what means this? They said, they're full of new wine. They said, no, these are men that are full of the Holy Spirit. Peter was the principal speaker, and he said, This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. This is the Holy Spirit. And he convicted them of the mistake they made in crucifying Christ. And they cried out and said, What shall we do? And he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the remission of your sins. And on this, the birthday of the church, there were 3,000 who were added to the church. The church continued to grow and to multiply until the Jewish people were afraid of them and began to persecute them and to scatter them all over the world. But as they went, they carried the message of the gospel. And there was one particular convert that was outstanding in that capacity. His name was Saul of Tarsus, the one that had held the coats of the men who stoned Stephen, the first Christian martyr. He embarked on three missionary journeys that are notable. And he covered Asia Minor, and he covered Cyprus, and he covered Turkey, which is Asia Minor, but the other part of it. And he covered even more than that, Macedonia and Achaia over in Greece, and said, As much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you also that are in Rome. And during these missionary endeavors, he wrote letters encouraging these churches. Probably the first ones were the ones written to the Thessalonians, people that he had just been converted and that were experiencing a great persecution, telling them to hang in there. And then there were others that followed as he wrote to the Corinthian church, trying to straighten out some problems and answer some questions. And then when he had heard how they were doing so well, turned around and wrote another letter encouraging them in that capacity. And when he came to Corinth, possibly wrote Galatians to those people who were troubled over the law and some other matters. And maybe even at the same time wrote a letter to the Romans, preparing them for a time when he could come and go there. Many have said this was Paul's masterpiece. 
Then after the three missionary journeys, he was imprisoned in Caesarea, and for two years he stayed as a prisoner there. Under Felix, the governor, when Festus became governor, Paul appealed to Caesar. Since being a Roman citizen, he could do that. So he was transported to Caesar at Rome, and that takes us to the voyage to Rome. And after a shipwreck, he finally made it safely to Rome and stayed there two years waiting to see the emperor. Tradition is that he appeared before Nero, and since there were no charges there to be brought against him by anyone, he was released. But it's very likely during this period of imprisonment was when he wrote Ephesians, telling them that Christ is the head of the church. Colossians, telling them that Christ is the head of the universe. Philemon, interceding on behalf of one of the Colossian members, Philemon, his slave, Onesimus, that Paul had converted while he was there and as a prisoner in Rome. It was here that these letters were written, even the letter to the Philippians probably at this time, as he told those people, I have you in my heart. It seemed to be his love letter. I guess if Paul had a favorite church, it must have been Philippi. Probably the poorest in point of money, but the richest in the point of faith. And there is a tradition, a strong tradition, that uh, he was released from prison. And during this time wrote two more letters. First Timothy to this young man, Timothy, that would be taking his place as he was soon to be no longer on this earth. And to Titus, another fellow worker, a young man. And then he was imprisoned the second time and right before his death, he probably there in the shadow of his own death itself was writing Second Timothy. I have finished the course. I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me at that day, but not to me only, but to all of them that love is appearing. Very likely shortly after that, his cell was unlocked, and the soldiers came and led him to the chopping block, and his head was severed from his body. There were other great men besides Paul. We just happen to know more about him. There's the book of Hebrews that Paul may have written. Something Apollos may have. Something Barnabas may have. Telling us that we have something better under the law of Christ. It's better than the Jewish law. Don't go back under the Jewish law. Even under the threat of persecution. You've got something better. Stay with it. Even in face of persecution. There was James, we think, the Lord's brother, who told them that faith without works is dead, and also reminding them of the use of the tongue, the importance of bridling the tongue. And then there were the two works of Peter, one dealing with the true knowledge of God, but the first one was talking about suffering, and about if any man suffered as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this name. And then there was the Apostle John, who spent his last days in Ephesus, according to tradition. Being exiled to Patmos and then later died close to a hundred years of age, and there he wrote first and second and third John. Little children, let us love one another. Second John was written to the church, the elect lady, and then third John to a special member probably of that church, a man by the name of Gaius. And these were the works of John except for one another. And then there was Jude, we think maybe the brother of the Lord, some thinking maybe one of the apostles or even another one. So much like Second Peter, the content is similar, contending for the faith. 
And then there was the great revelation, the apocalypse. When John was on the island of Patmos, he turned to see the voice that spoke to him and saw the glorified Christ. And God told him to write to the seven churches of Asia. And he said, each of them is to be sent this letter and this letter and this letter. And so they were. And then he had a vision of God on his throne. And then he saw the Lamb who received uh, the book and was able to open the book that no one else could open. And then the book began to be opened and the future began to unfold. And it was a message of encouragement and hope to Christians under these symbols. The point in that book was, we shall overcome to encourage these people who probably, if I would say in the days of Domitian, someday it was written in Nero's time, a time of great persecution, and saying, hang in there, don't give up. We've got something worth living for. And so under these signs and symbols, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. That's the end. And he shall reign forever and ever. So he had a picture of the final judgment. As he saw the dead, the small and the great, stand before him, and he heard the wicked hear their pronouncement, and the righteous being told to enter into eternal life. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous shall enter into eternal life. And the book closes with a very, very beautiful and graphic scene. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, descending from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband, and a voice saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, he will dwell with them, and he shall be their God, and they shall be his people. And then he describes the pearly gates, describes all of the beauty of that place, the golden streets. And there shall be no pain or sorrow anymore, for the former things are passed away. And then the beautiful promise, Behold, I come quickly. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirits. Amen. If that story can't move you, I don't have anything left to say. I don't know of anything that I could say to add to it. There may be someone here that needs to make a commitment. We all, I'm sure, need to make commitments. There may be someone that needs to make a public one. We would encourage you to come as we stand to sing.